This is Madeline Lopez Bartolome, back in November 2020. She's a 15-year-old choir member and parishioner at St. Gabriel's Church in Detroit. This week, like every week, she, her mother, Daris Bartolome, her 13-year-old sister, and baby brother wheel Madeline's wheelchair into the church. Madeline's wheelchair is due to a genetic condition she has called rickets, a serious skeletal condition for which she has been seeking treatment in the United States, a treatment unavailable in Guatemala. If she doesn't get the medical care she needs, she will never walk. And she's running out of time as they face a deportation order. It's a heartbreaking situation, well concealed behind Madeline's laughing eyes and wild optimism. She appears far too busy looking heavenward, leading the congregation in joyful song, as if conjuring all the angels in heaven to pierce through the skies with a miracle. Fortunately for the Bartolones, that's exactly what's coming. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. The Bartolones are from a small mountainous village in San Marcos, Guatemala, a poor but beautiful farming community at the foothills of the Tucano volcano. 60% of its residents live in poverty. 15 years ago, Daris and her ex-husband gave birth to a little girl, Madeline. As she grew, they noticed she had bowed legs and a curved spine. She wasn't growing as fast or as strong as her peers. The symptoms all pointed to the disorder rickets. This is Daris. Rickets is a problem that affects all bones. Her bones deform everything, including the teeth. It's a tough problem for her, and now it is affecting her kidneys and her heart, too. Rickets is a softening or weakening of bones in children, usually a result of vitamin deficiency. Today, in the U.S., it's extremely rare. But in places like Guatemala, where 50% of its children are malnourished, it's more common. Those with rickets often have delayed growth and motor skills, skeletal deformities, malformed legs, muscle weakness, and pain in the spine, pelvis, and legs. If left untreated, it can lead to failure to grow, dental defects, and seizures. Darius was determined to find her daughter the medical treatment she needed. But in Guatemala, where there are three doctors per 10,000 people, that would be extremely difficult. Every door she knocked on yielded a bleak response. The care your daughter needs is not here. Madeline's condition wasn't the only concern for Darius's family. Also, we lived a life filled with problems with my ex-husband, the father of my two girls. We experienced a lot of domestic violence. Darius's husband was abusive and addicted to drugs. Every penny Darius worked for setting aside for her daughter's medical treatments, he stole to buy drugs. Whenever Darius stood up for herself, things got violent. It's an unfortunately common story in Guatemala where 88% of reported crimes against women go unpunished. This is Kevin Piukuch, the executive director of Southwest Detroit Immigration and Refugee Center. There are laws on the books that say domestic violence is illegal, and there have been plenty of statements made by government officials saying we don't tolerate this in our society, but in practice, 
uh, when you see the actual way that police often turn the you know turn their eye in cases you know uh, oftentimes husbands are considered you know the wife and daughters are chattel and you know treated in a very very disrespectful way and that's allowed unfortunately and prevalent in many areas in places like Guatemala. Darius made the decision to go to the United States. She had a sister in Michigan who said she might be able to find medical specialists for her daughter. But to come legally would be extremely complicated. If you happen to be a poor farmer from Guatemala and you want to get a visa to come emigrate to the United States, the number of available visas is infinitesimally small. There are very, 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 very few people that can that can get that visa. And one thing that's required is you have to, oh, and by the way, there's not a poor people's visa. Uh, to get one of these visas, you also have to prove that you are not going to be an economic burden. So if you can't prove that you're coming with money or that you're gonna be able to get a job right away, if you look like you may have to use welfare or be what's called a public charge, you can be denied that visa. So not only are there only a few hundred of these visas available, most people who are the type of people who we serve would never get that visa anyway. And even when you've heard of things called chain migration, even family-based visas, if you have family members who are here, it can take up to 24 years before your visa is even approved. 24 years is the average wait time for people from Mexico, uh, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. And if you need to help your family now, uh, getting a visa that's good in 24 years doesn't offer much help. Darius didn't have 24 years. The clock was ticking for her daughter, who had developed kidney and heart issues. Darius's last hope was to apply for asylum. I want to apologize for the way I entered into this country, but I couldn't do it in any other way. I know some people have been able to come legally. Maybe they have money. Sadly, I was born in a low-income family and I couldn't pay. I couldn't find a visa. That is why I entered the United States illegally. So I want to apologize to everyone. I didn't ask to be poor. Simply, I'm facing a situation, and thank you so much for opening the doors of this country. For me, it has been a blessing of God to be here. In 2017, Darius left for the United States with her daughters. It was right about this time that an organization was being formed all throughout basements of Catholic churches in greater Detroit, and they were perfectly poised to answer Darius's needs for help. Strangers no longer. It started with a small brainstorming session of 16 in the basement of Jesu Parish. Motivated by Pope Francis's call to do what we can for the least among us, they were discussing how best to support Detroit's immigrant and refugee population. That meeting bloomed into a conference at the University of Detroit Mercy, where over 150 lay people, bishops, priests, and sisters all came eager to learn how to create what are called circles of support that care for the local immigrants within and outside their parishes. Since that meeting, Strangers No Longer now has representation in 18 parishes and religious communities throughout the archdiocese. The work of the circles is all-encompassing and ever-growing. If there's a need, this group will find an answer. This is Irma Landon Obregon, who oversees the Circle of Support at the Basilica of St. Anne de Detroit. It's an organization um, that tries to provide support 
for um, immigrant families. So we provide support in terms of um, direct services for them, um, helping them in um, you know, basic needs that they have or emergency needs that they might have. Like uh, for example, um, you know, if one of the spouse has been de uh, detained, um, then we and the, the spouse that's left with the children, whatever, you know, they have needs in terms of uh, food and, you know, getting the kids to school and um, doctor appointments and whatever. So we try to provide support to the family in that regard. Two years after arriving to the U.S., Darius really needed that support. While her asylum application was being reviewed, she was given a temporary work permit, which allowed her to provide for her daughters. During this time, Darius doggedly pursued answers about Madeline's condition and was able to secure treatment at the Shriners Hospital in Chicago. Darius's asylum request was denied. She appealed with the Board of Immigration, but lost. Darius had no worker's permit and mouths to feed. A man at her church told her about strangers no longer, so Darius hopped on a bus from Detroit's west side to St. Anne's for a meeting, where she met the two people who would become incredibly important to her, Irma and Kevin. Here's Irma. Darius, to me, is just an amazing uh, person. She's just a very strong and um, loving mother. And she uh, has just been so determined uh, from the time she's been here in the, in the United States to find a way to help, um, to help her daughter. She was determined and she didn't um, give in hopelessness or, you know, how am I going to be able to do this? Uh, she has a strong, strong faith in God and that God is going to uh, provide. Irma drove Darius and Madeline to Chicago for her treatment and surgeries. She accompanied them to monthly check-ins at the immigration office and provided translation. When Darius's work permit was removed after her political asylum application was denied, the group helped support the family with basic needs. They are my angels because I didn't know anything about them and all of a sudden they appeared. In November, the Bartolones were celebrating some milestones. Madeline had just undergone leg surgery and was recovering in leg braces. She would need more surgeries, but this felt like a promising step. Darius was five months pregnant and had just found out she would be having a little boy. But the family received the news they had been dreading. I remember it was November 9th that I was at the immigration office and he told me by December 9th I had to go back to my country, that I had to leave. And I said, how? And he said, you need to bring the tickets and you have to leave. I was very scared and I was crying and saying, my God, and my daughter had just had surgery. How can I do it? What are they thinking? Where is a human being here? I was very scared. How do I take my daughter back? At least if my daughter was not like that, I could go. But what can I do? I remember that all the month of November waiting for the date to be deported. I was very frustrated, very desperate. I felt we were out of options. Seeing my daughter with those braces that she wears, and I said, oh my God, what can I do? And thanks to strangers no longer, they began working to see how they could help. 
de qué forma ellos me podían ayudar. I got a very urgent phone call. This was, gee, I think it was Thanksgiving weekend. But anyway, um, Doris was being told by ICE. She had a final order of deportation. This is Kevin Piyukuch again. In addition to being the founder and executive director of the Southwest Detroit Immigration and Refugee Center, he's also a member of the Strangers No Longer group at his parish, St. Monica and St. Augustine. And in these situations, he's the guy to call. We are the largest provider of free and low-cost legal services targeted to immigrants, refugees, and persons in other disadvantaged communities within the city of Detroit. So when a person like Doris comes to us and it's like, you have a final order of deportation, you're going to have to pack your bags and leave the country by the end of December. Uh, that's when uh, we knew we had to jump into action. I immediately started moving a few levers to try to get her deportation postponed. And there is something that ICE is able to do, which is called a human humanitarian parole. And when you have a circumstance where uh, an immigrant or a refugee has a compelling circumstance as to why, even if they have a deportation order, why that deportation order should be postponed, we can make the case. And depending on how well the case is made, ICE may or may not decide to give relief to that person. Uh, I immediately knew that we had an exceptionally compelling case with Doris. Madeline has a genetic condition that has her in a wheelchair she had been receiving and has been receiving free medical services at the Shriners Hospital in Chicago. To deport her in December of 2020 before her treatments were completed, and these are treatments that are not available in her home country, would have meant that this child would probably never walk again. So we filed the appropriate papers. Now, like any other organization, the question is, is if you have ability to influence the government and you have people who are influential that can help you make your case, as a lawyer, I'm like, let's make every single claim we can. Let's use as much of our resources as we have because this is a compelling case. Strangers No Longer members contacted state representatives, dozens of parish priests, and Madeline's teachers to write letters on their behalf confirming how crucial her medical care was. But what was most compelling to Daris was the way they supported her the day she went to meet ICE. Irma, the lady who drives us to Madeline's treatments, picked us up. When we arrived, we turned from Jefferson to Elliot, and on the left side, I saw a guy by the name Lenny, who has also helped us a lot. And he waved his hand and I waved mine, and I said, maybe he lives around here. And then I saw another person and I said, what are they doing here? I didn't know of everything strangers no longer had prepared for me. When I got out of the car, the attorney was there and I saw another person, and then I saw more people. There were my daughter's teachers, I remember. I was very surprised. At that moment, I felt stronger, with more courage. I didn't feel scared at that moment when I saw everybody supporting me. I felt strengthened to face the situation. When Daris and her daughter pulled up to the Detroit ICE field office on a cloudy and frigid day, it wasn't the rundown gray building they saw, but a crowd of loving supporters. Opening the car door were Madeline's teachers, who were zooming in her classmates yelling well wishes and support. Kevin Piukuch, friends, parishioners, and even members of Strangers No Longer the family had never met were there. 
The group convened, held hands, and prayed. And Kevin went into the office where their fate would be determined. Before I explain what happened, I should first explain that Kevin only wins 10% of his cases. That's not because he's a bad lawyer. He's a very good lawyer. In immigration law, 10% is about as good as it gets. The odds were not in their favor. Darius was told to expect several hours, endless questioning, and tears. But that's not what happened. Darius and Madeline were never even called inside. Kevin went inside for an unprecedented 20 minutes. He came out with good news. Darius and Madeline could stay another year. She could finish the treatment. That moment was just uh, as difficult to describe. And we were all waiting out there. And Darius and I were in line. Uh, you know, we're waiting to be admitted to go into the uh, the office. And um, Kev had gone in ahead of us. And so then he come he came out and he said, well, we have news for, you know, <laughs> good news for you. And so then uh, he shared with us, you know, that they had agreed to give her a stay of uh, deportation. And so everyone was just jumping for joy and just so thrilled and crying and happy, um, you know, for this news. It was just like a miracle, you know. Um, so she didn't even have to go inside. You know, he came out with the agents and um, and they had uh, they had let him know and so we were all just thrilled and just so happy and um, everyone was just so thrilled and excited um, that this had happened and and we're just grateful um, to God for all of the support that we got from everyone you know which really made a difference it made a big difference it made the difference I don't know what to say other than it was a miracle. I was very happy because finally we could follow my daughter's treatment without being afraid that I was going to be deported soon. We asked for a year and we asked that they read the papers, that they read all the letters that all of you have sent, that they respond to the prayers of God's people and show some mercy for a family in need of mercy. Amen. So it felt like unlike anything else. I felt the spirit of God. It was as if God had made it, worked it all out. God had done all the work. When the people of God raise their voice in a respectful and honest and godly manner, I mean, the government will listen. And, and, and I was so delighted that we as Christians, as Catholic Christians, uh, felt strongly enough to, to raise our voice in a just cause. And I can tell you how moving it was for all of us to feel that the prayers, that the hard work, that the uh, legitimate efforts we put into play were, were, were bore fruit. And the fruit is this family that would have been deported was not. And they get to stay and this child is gonna be able to get the treatments that she needs. And the girls will get to continue to sing in the choir uh, and uh, we will all be blessed by their presence. Detroit Stories is a production of Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.